Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. And you may be seated. God bless your awesome people. I'm going to talk about for such a time as this. Many of you already know because you're Bible scholars where I'm headed, but it's all right. You probably heard the old adage, behind every good man is a good woman. Don't put great out there just yet. (laughs) But I prefer behind every good man is a surprised mother-in-law. Tonight we're going to study a case in which we could, it could be said behind a great man who was not a good man was a great woman who was a good woman who changed the course of history. I want to I just leave two little statements with you here and I want you to write these down. They're not on the board. I chose not to put them on the board because if you want to hold them in your heart, you need to write them down. The first statement I want to make is simply this. It's not about us. It's all about the kingdom. Everybody say, it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. The second statement I want to make, it's not about convenience. It's about opportunity. It's not about us being in convenience and living the life of of just confluence and convenience. It's about opportunity. In fact, the Chinese character crisis, the Chinese characters in the word crisis, has two words that are very important. One is the word danger and the other is the word opportunity. The same word, the Chinese character crisis, is either danger or opportunity. It's how you view it. And so tonight I want to talk to you a little bit, just give you a little background. About 500 B.C. or perhaps 50 years after Ezra had led the Jews back to Jerusalem from their captivity in Babylon. Many of the Jewish people still lived in a land called Persia or Shishan under the reign of a king called named Xerxes in the New International Version or Ahasuerus in the King James. Xerxes, I'll use that name, I just kind of like it better because it sounds like he's a Xerxes was a pagan, and he was known to be cruel and a capricious man. He was driven by sensual desires, and we're introduced to him at the beginning of the book of Esther where he has staged this grand, great festival designed to exhibit the power and the wealth of his kingdom. And this great fiesta, this great thing took place for about six months, this great festival, Then at the end of that festival, they held a a seven-day feast filled with food and drink, mostly drink. Too much drink, obviously, because on the seventh day of that feast, the king had become quite drunk. And in his drunkenness, he called for his beautiful queen, a woman named Vashti, to come and parade before the guest. And she, perhaps not a drinker, was offended by the request and promptly refused. And this, in turn enraged the king and he disposes of her and she no longer is the queen of the, of the kingdom. And after a cooling off period for his anger, he seeks to find a replacement for Vashti. So his counselors advise him to hold a beauty contest and from among the most beautiful women of the land to choose a new queen. 
And wouldn't you know it that in the land of Shishan, in the land of Persia, Esther, a little Jewish girl, was chosen to be queen of Persia. Shortly thereafter, we're introduced to the villain of the story. He's an ambitious, arrogant noble by the name of Haman. And Haman was a favorite of the king and has apparently done something that has allowed him to be placed in a position of honor. Perhaps he did something or knew something on the king, but the king put him in a position of honor. So Xerxes passes a decree and to command all the officials of the land that when Haman passes by, you must bow down and honor Haman wherever he is and whenever he passes you. But wouldn't you know it, there was one man in the city that refused to do it. Guess what he was? He was a little Jew man, a little Hebrew. It was Esther's uncle, in fact. His name was Mordecai, a righteous man, and he would not bow to anyone but God. And in the book of Esther, chapter 3, the Bible said, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So Haman schemed about how to carry out this plan. And he spoke to the king and told him, There is a certain people dispersed in the land that have not been gone back to their native land in the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different than all the people in our land and who do not obey the king's laws. And it's not the king's best interest, he said, to tolerate these people. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men to carry out this business. And so it wasn't long until they began to build gallows for the people of God, and they were going to hang all those people and destroy all those people that would not bow down to Haman. In Esther chapter 3, it's not on the screen, because the king trusted Haman's judgment. The king decreed that all the Jews should indeed be eliminated. Now that's the setting of the story. Now here we have this uncle and he is a man that understands that Haman's got it in for him because he won't bow his knee to him. He's going to bow his knee only to God. And then we've got this girl that won the beauty pageant and she's a Jewish girl and she's on the inside and doesn't know what's happening on the outside. And her, her kinfolk are about to be slaughtered and she doesn't realize it and probably after a while she's going to be slaughtered herself. It's amazing how things set up and, and this is a story. In fact, there's a lot of people that don't even, don't even look at the book of Esther as a book in the Bible. They think there ought to be 65 books instead of 66 because there never is a time where God is mentioned in the book of Esther. And there never is a time when prayer was made in the book of Esther. It was just a woman who found favor with God that won, won approval from the king to spare the people of God. Amen? Amen. But it, it shows you what God can do when people step up and say, you can count on me. I'm going to be involved in the kingdom of God. Remember, it's not convenience. It's about opportunity. Amen. During the height of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, I, I feel like I'm going to preach in a little while now found refuge at a midweek meeting of a Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C. And he would go with an aide and sit quietly with his stovepipe hat in his lap. He would listen intently to the preacher. And he would open the scriptures and teach God's word and lead the congregation in worship. And the war was tearing the nation apart and it tore at the soul of 
Abraham Lincoln as well. In fact, after having lost his own son, Lincoln was both grieved at the loss of his son and also the war that was racking America. And the preacher finished his message and the people began to leave. And the president quietly stood up and straightened his coat and took his hat in his hand and began to leave. And his aide stepped up to him and he said, what did you think of the sermon, Mr. President? And Lincoln answered, I thought the sermon was carefully thought through and thoughtfully delivered. And the aide said, so you thought it was a great sermon? And Lincoln said, no, I thought the preacher failed tonight. He failed. And the aide said, why, sir? He said, because he did not ask of us to do something great. When I read that, I thought to myself, God, I don't want to just preach to people to tickle their ears with the gospel. We have just come through one of the most glorious seasons that this church could ever experience and ever dream of experiencing because I was here when the A-frame was here next door. But God has, God has blessed this church. He's blessed this church mightily and, and it's come to my attention that God is not done blessing this church. He's continuing to bless this church. And if you think our best days are behind us, think again. You need to turn around. Our best days are still ahead of us. God's not finished with this church. The preacher hadn't asked his congregation to do something great. He did not challenge the people or the president of the United States to do something with their lives. And that disturbed Mr. Lincoln because he saw his nation in turmoil and he saw himself struggling with a deep pain and loss at the loss of his own son. Abraham Lincoln understood the scriptures and one central truth in the Bible, and that was when life is difficult and the world is filled with struggles and hardships and pain, that's when God calls upon his people to do something positive for God Almighty. I want to declare to you right now, I know that we had a great Easter, but there's a lot of people in this world that had a tough Easter Sunday. And we have come to the kingdom, you hear me, for such a time as this. And I'm going to challenge this congregation tonight to step up your mission and to step up your earnestness and to step up your faith. And to say, Pastor, I've come to church for the last time just to hear the word. I want to leave here and be a doer of the word of God. And I want God to use our family. And I want God to use our children. And I want God to use our faith to evoke faith in somebody out there that does not have the faith that we possess in our heart. We're blessed, folks. Somebody else ought to know the blessing of God that we have in our life. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. When God comes in contact with people, they're moved to do big things, great things, like Noah building an ark. Folks, think about that. Noah built an ark. Or like Moses at 80 years of age, leading two and a half million people out of slavery in Egypt. Or how about Joshua taking three million people around a wall city 13 times? A city that had about 600,000 in population. Folks, that's a trek. Or David taking out a giant 
when he was too young to fight in the war, he took out a giant. Other times, when people come in contact with God, they do little things that make a big difference because of God's power. Like a little boy bringing his lunch of five loaves and two fishes. And the Lord said, bring that to me. Let me see if I can work on that. And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. And they fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He said, now pick up the remains. And they took home 12 basketfuls. Hear me, folks. God can take a little and make a lot when we give ourselves to him. I'm not asking you to go out and build an orphanage in Haiti or go out and do something mighty in Mexico. I'm just saying, step up to the plate because we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I believe that with all my heart. Then there was a woman that met Jesus at a well. She had five husbands and was living with a man who wasn't even her husband. And when he got through talking to her, she went back to the city and brought everybody in that city to Jesus. Said, come see a man that told me everything that I ever did. Is he not the Christ? And that whole city was ready in Acts 8 for the Holy Ghost to be poured out on them. Because Jesus met them. And the woman at the well won them. It, it, when I see stuff like that, it bothers me that I can go through life and I don't turn cities upside down with my testimony. And I don't do the things that I read about in the Bible. And I know the Bible is accurate and true. But again and again in the scripture, when God touches people, they do big things. Or they do small things that matter big in life. And they all make a difference because God made a difference in their life. How many remember the night that the Lord just flat out saved you and filled you with the spirit of this? Come on, this you knew, you knew without a shadow of a doubt. I guarantee you, everybody in this building said, wow, wow, I'm going to preach to everybody on my job. I'm going to preach to everybody in my school. I'm going to tell everybody that Jesus is real, he's Lord. But after a while, that kind of cools down. But I think what God has done for us in this last weekend, in this Easter season, this Holy Week revival, I believe that God has said, I want to turn up the fire on Christian Life Church one more time. And I want to tell you that we have got an opportunity. Don't live in convenience because an opportunity is before us. And as the old saying says, you got to strike while the iron is hot. And it's time for this church to rise up and say, I will be counted on. You can count on me, pastor. You can count on me, God. You can count on me. I will win souls. I will witness. I will do the things I need to do in the kingdom of God because this is our greatest hour. I was invited. I was invited. I was invited the other day. Uh, one, one of our men that some of you people have never met him. You never met this man. He's one of the one of the neatest guys, one of the quietest guys, but he's one of the neatest guys I've ever pastored. He and his family, they have a couple of kids. And he he got overwhelmed at this Austin disaster relief thing. He got overwhelmed with it. Oh, Pastor, you need to preach the gospel. Quit preaching this stuff like this. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is gospel. This is gospel right here. Put this over there, guys. I'm, I'm a little heavy on my left side. I got chapstick and keys on that left side. There you go. And so he, he goes and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, he takes the lessons, the classes, and he becomes a shepherd. And so I went to lunch with him not long ago, and I said, so you're becoming a shepherd? He said, no, sir, I already am a shepherd. 
But he said, Pastor, they've given me a job that I don't know if I can handle or not. I said, oh, yes, you can. You can handle it. You can do it. It's a, it's a flood situation out in out uh, uh, east of town. It's way past, way out there. And this woman has got this, if you call it a trailer, it's a trailer without wheels. It's tilted. Looks like a house of mirrors when you walk in it. You have to kind of balance yourself. She said, come on in. She said, I got electricity just the other day. It's, a, it's horrible. Mold everywhere. It's just, it's just horrible. And he said, Pastor, I want you to go with me because I want you to see how I'm doing. I want you to see if I'm doing it right. And if, I, and it, and if you want to, just interrupt me and, and just take over because, Pastor, I don't feel qualified to do this. And we went out there and I said, okay, don't introduce me as your pastor. I'm just Rex, okay? Don't introduce me as your pastor. Because I don't want her to think that I'm pastoring a church. I don't want her to think that. I just want her to know that I'm your wingman today. He said, okay. So he said, he said, hey, Linda, her name is Linda. said, hey, Linda, I brought my, I brought my wingman. <laughs> he almost said it. And we went over. And he, and, and, he, and he started taking photos of all of her, all of her stuff because he's going to take that to Austin Disaster Relief, try to get her some relief and try to get her some money. And the more he worked with her, the more it broke my heart. It just touched my heart. I thought, man, you don't need me out here. You've got this, son. You, you're working this thing like I, I could never work it. And he just, his voice never raised. And he was just kind and he was just tender. And she was just saying, you know, I just want to give up on life. He said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to continue to go forward. We're going to, do, we're going to do this thing. We're going to make it happen. And he said, and she, and, you know, and she, she drank and she drove a car. And so she got a DWI. And, and so he said, now, now we're, I, I tell you what, I, I tell you what I've done. I said, he said, somehow I've got this DWI taken care of. And you can go back and get your license. And, oh, she said, and she's reached out and hugged him. And yeah, I promise you, it ain't much to be hugging. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't a whole lot to hug. But he said, I'm proud of you. She said, I'll go tomorrow and I'll get my license back. And he texted me today. He said, she went and got her license back today. And so he kept working with her. And he said, I think we can get a little for you. Wash your hair a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, that's ministry. That is, that's ministry. That's come to the kingdom for such a time. That's ministry. That's what it's all about. And, and meanwhile, I'm perusing this little trailer, and I'm thinking, okay, I've got some guys in my church that could, that could if I put about $3,000 in them, they could go out here and build her something a whole lot better than that, and, and they could fix it up for her and make it just look real nice, and I'm on the verge of doing that, you know, but I just, I just don't want to interrupt him. But when he finally got through to the end, I looked at him. I hadn't said but three or four or five words. I looked at him. He looked back at me, and he said, do you mind if we pray one more time, Linda? And he stood up and took her hand and took my hand. And I was so glad he didn't defer to me. He said, Lord. And he started crying. He said, Lord, now you're going to fix this thing. You're going to help us with this thing. You're going to bless this situation. You know. And then we walked out of there and he said, man, I feel good, Pastor, because you're here. I said, no, 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 no. It wasn't because I'm here. You felt good because God touched you today and anointed you. And here's what I want to tell you, folks. That kind of ministry is all through this house. 
that kind of ministry is all through this house. There's people that need the Lord, yes, but there's people that need somebody just to say, you matter, you matter in life. And they walk by you every day and they come by you every day and somebody's got to step up and say, you know what? I'm going to let you matter in my world because it does not matter if you don't have a lot or you have a whole lot, you matter. If you don't know Jesus, you matter. If you know Jesus, you matter. It's about the kingdom. It's not about convenience. It's about opportunity. Hallelujah. So here's our story. Mordecai is frantic and he's going to be destroyed. It's his fault. He tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, throws ashes on his head. Makes his way to the wall of the palace and he cries in bitter tears. He's not allowed in the palace because no sackcloth is allowed inside. So Esther hadn't heard about the edict of the king. But there's no ignoring the cries of her husband, I mean of her, of, her, of her uncle outside of her home. So she sends one of her attendants out to find out what's wrong. And Mordecai sends the attendant back and says, Haman's going to kill us all. And Mordecai is very clear in what he wants. He expects Esther to do something about this impending disaster. He expects her to go and talk to the king because he realizes that she's the only one who can do anything about the problem. But Esther doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to get involved. She explains this is not a good time to be approaching the king. In fact, there's never a good time to approach the king because he's a dangerous man. He's an evil man. She might be putting her life on the line if she tried it. But the bottom line is that she refuses because she's afraid. One of the major reasons... Why people might not do something when they feel God wanting them to do something is because we're afraid. Fear comes in all shapes and sizes. And right now, before I start preaching, I rebuke every fear in this house right now. I come against every fear, every phobia in this house. I rebuke it in Jesus' name because fear has torments. A psychologist at Yale once compiled a list of some of the people's most prominent fears. And the first one is the fear of failure. They're afraid if they step out, they're going to fail. I remember when I preached my first sermon, I didn't think I'd ever ever preach another sermon because I knew I was going to fail. But I didn't fail. Then there's a fear of commitment, saying I will and then they don't show. Then there's a fear of trusting others. These are the top three fears. Then there's a fear of thinking or speaking publicly. And then the fifth one is the fear of being all by yourself. I want to tell you something. All these fears can be handled if you'll just step up and say, you know what, God? It's time for me to start being used in the kingdom of God. It's time for me to start being used. I'm not trying to call people to preach. I'm not trying to call people to witness. I'm not. I'm just trying to tell you something, that you have too much in you and too much around you not to be sharing what God has given to you in 2016. Come on, clap your hands. We've come to the kingdom. For such a time as this. So because fear rules the day. The Lord has placed some fear knots in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Or things similar to that is found. And you've heard me preach it 365 times in the Bible. 365 times. One for every day of the year. Because the Lord knows that every day you live. There's going to be a fear that's going to attack your spirit. Anxiety. Aloneness. 
Will it ever happen to me? Will I ever be important enough to be viewed as somebody significant? Fear attacks us almost every day. I have walked out of this pulpit before and not seen somebody at church when we had overflow crowds. And the devil said, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, you had a number today, but you didn't have them, did you? You're worried about them, aren't you? And I, I have fought those kind of fears. But here's what I want to tell you. God wants to alleviate the fear of this congregation. If we can get fear out, if we can get fear out, there's no telling what this congregation can do. If we can get fear out, there's no telling what this people can do. I'm telling you, it's time, and I'm going to declare it prophetically, get bold in Jesus Christ in 2016. Come on, get bold. Just go ahead and get bold. Go ahead and get bold. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get bold. Just go ahead. I pronounce boldness on this church tonight. I pronounce a spirit of boldness on this church tonight. I will not die. I will not go down in defeat. I will be significant in this church in this hour. It will happen. Pastor, you're preaching out of your gourd. Yeah, I know it. I told you I was just going to talk tonight, but I'm hollering a little too. Amen? Okay. So I'm going to give you three little ways to overcome fear. Number one, if it is to be, it may very well be up to me. The first lie of fear is the lie that if you ignore a problem, it'll go away. That's a lie from hell. It won't matter if you or I do anything or not. All we have to do is just stand back here and wait till someone else does it and they'll do something about it. No, no, no. That's a lie. If God brings a problem to your attention, he probably wants you to do something about it. I used to love saints that would call me and say, Pastor, do you know so-and-so wasn't there? Why don't you check on them for me? Hey, do you have a finger? Do you have a cell phone? Call them. That's not my job, Pastor. Well, why didn't God bring that to my attention? God brought it to your attention so that you could make that call. But you don't want to make that call because you might have to spend some time because it takes away your convenience. It's not about convenience. It's about opportunity. Pastor, you know so-and-so's been in the hospital for a week? No. Hey, I'll tell you when they went in, I know what room they're in. Are you going to see them? No. Why not? Oh, I'm preaching now, aren't I? It's getting a little heavy, isn't it? It's getting a little heavy. Hallelujah. But what I really love, what I really love is, Pastor, I feel like I had a word for somebody the other day and I didn't go to them and, and Pastor, I, 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 don't, I, don't guess, I don't guess you can take this word. No, 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 I'm not going to take a word from you to them because if I have a word, it's going to be from God. It's not going to be from you. If you have a word, it's from God, you go to them. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If God gives you an opportunity, seize that moment. Seize that moment. If God says it's time to get down and pray, pray for that person. Don't call the pastor and say, Pastor, I've been real burdened. Would you pray for so-and-so? No, I will, but why don't you pray? Because God impresses you because he wants you to do something about it. If it's, if it's up to me, hallelujah, if it's going to be, it might as well be up to me. I might as well step up and do the thing that God wants me to do. Am I preaching to you tonight? Is it all right? A little hard preaching. Who knows, he told Esther, 
that what you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. He's telling Esther, it's come to your attention. You have an ability to deal with the problem. Now get busy and do something about it. Notice, notice Mordecai took his own advice because Mordecai could not go to the king. He was not able to get to him, but he went to the wall and wailed. He did all he could, but Esther had to take what he couldn't do and go complete the job. Some people are not going to be used as mouthpieces. Some are going to be prayer warriors. Some are going to be people that are going to be fasters and prayers. And some people are going to be used to encourage people in the house of God. But whatever God lays on your heart, do it. Do it. Do it. Open up your spirit in 2016 and let's let God do some things through us and by us and for us. These home groups that we're into, folks, are phenomenal. They are phenomenal. And we can absolutely grow this church double in about another six months because God wants you to do what only you can do. You're, you're made your way because that is who you are. And there's just one of me and there's a whole bunch of y'all. But guess what? There's just one of y'all. Do what you can do and God will do what I can do and let's see what God can do through us. We can build this church continually. It's meant to be. It's got to be up to me. The second thing is that if you don't go, trouble's going to grow. If you don't go, trouble will grow. Problems unfixed don't go away. If you see a problem, you could have done something about it and you did and you left it to someone else to do. The problem won't go away. It might be fixed for a little while, but it'll come back. It will come back. Here's what I want to tell you. The Bible says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, he told Esther, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. That's what he told her. You've got to do something. Let me just talk to families real quickly here, and then I'm, I'm going to be through in just a moment. Let me talk to families. If we ever, if there ever was a time that we need to pray for our kids and our families, it is now. I have never seen a world so recklessly running rampant. And the only thing that's holding back the judgment of God is the church of the living God. Baptized with his spirit. Amen. Because he won't even let the son of perdition be revealed till he that led us is taken away. And when the spirit leaves, the church is going to leave. Hear me. We are God's flames. We're his torches. We are the people that still turn night to day. It doesn't matter how dark the night, one little match, one little deed that you do can strike up a fire of glory and will bring light to this world. Amen. Somebody's catching me tonight. Somebody's getting a hold of me tonight. He said this way in Isaiah, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. In other words, don't dread what the world can do to you. Fear the Lord Almighty. And when you fear God, you won't have any fear for this world. God will give you the boldness. You know, it's an amazing thing how how when crowds come together, we get all bold, but when we get by ourselves, we get all timid. It's time to be strong in the Lord when you're by yourself. Because when you're alone is what you really are in God. Joseph, when he got by himself, was pretty powerful. You hear me? 
And when you get by yourself, that's what you are. Let me read you one more scripture, and I'm going to give you a neat little illustration. The angel of the Lord, Psalms 34, said, encamps around those who fear him. Everybody say, I fear the Lord. I respect the Lord. I honor the Lord. You got some angels around you tonight. That's just the Bible. And he delivers them. Everybody say, he delivers them. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. My dad was a neat dad, but a strange dad. Daddy had this phobia about dogs in the house. And we was raised in West Texas, and we had dogs like Hunky Dory, and, and we had dogs like, uh, oh, let's see. Let me think of some more. Hunky Dory was my star. I didn't put this in my notes. We had some, we had some weird name dogs. And Daddy would build them house, uh, dog houses, and he refused to let those dogs come in the house even when a storm was coming. And he'd say, son, go lock the dog up. Go put the dog in his house. Well, we'd go out there and say, go and get in the house, get in the house, get in the house. And the dog would just look at us. <laughs> but when daddy came outside, he'd say, get in that house. And that dog feared my dad. My dog had the fear of God in that. My daddy had the fear of God in that dog. And that dog would scamper to that house and go in there almost whimpering. And daddy said, he'll be all right. He'll be fine. And I used to get so frustrated because I wanted the dog at least in the washroom or something. And big old storm would come, a wind would blow, and we'd think it's a tornado or something. That dog's out there. But I discovered something one night. That dog wasn't out there. Because as soon as he sent us kids to bed, Daddy went to the back porch and said, come on. And put that dog in a safe place. Shut the door, went to bed, and before we got up the next morning, he had the dog back outside. (laughs) You know how I know? One night, it hit thunder real hard, and it woke me up. And I got up going looking for Dad and Mom. I was going to the room. I did that a lot. Because I was a scared kid. <laughs> Eddie was sawing logs. We had the same room, two-bedroom house. We slept in twin beds. And I went to their room, and Daddy wasn't there. So I thought, oh, God, where's Daddy? <laughs> and Mother said, he's in, he's in the other part of the house, son. It's all right, going back to bed. Well, I wasn't going back to bed. <laughs> I went to look for Daddy because Daddy was the boss. Mother worried more than us on the storm. But I went to look for Daddy, and I caught him. <laughs> Letting the dog in the washroom, the back porch washroom. And I went back to my room just a grinning. <laughs> Saying, my daddy is the best. That dog got great rewards 
because he feared and honored and obeyed my father. And the last dog that dad and mom had never knew what the outside was. And he wasn't house broke. And there was yellow on all the couches and yellow on the carpet. And he was a little male dog and when he would raise his leg we'd say, Grandma, that dog's about to use a restroom. She said, no, he's just practicing his move. (laughs) And when you go to see him, when you go to see him, the dog, when the storms came, would be between Mama and Daddy. (laughs) Hallelujah. But when it wasn't storming, Daddy would have his arm over that dog, a little Pomeranian. And I thought to myself, I'm going to preach about that one day because a living dog is better than a dead lion. And I'm not a dog in the kingdom of God. And I fear him. And when he says go, I'll go. And when he says stay, I'll stay. And when he says come, I'll come. And I want you to know when the storms are raging in my life and when the winds are blowing and I don't know which direction and I'm in my little house out there, I've got a heavenly father that says, come on in here with me, son. Come on, come on, come on. If my father, who was deadly and not let dogs in the house, would let a dog in the house, my heavenly father gets me close to him when things are not going right in my life. I will not fear what the world brings to me because I have a God that loves me. And I will fear that God. I will fear that God. I will fear that God. Daddy, I got you. Can't wait till I get to heaven and talk to you about it. The third statement I want to tell you is to really obey. Sometime you need to fast and pray. And I want to talk a little bit about fasting and prayer. We're fixing to start a prayer ministry second to none in our church. And I close with this tonight, Randy, if you'll come help me. I know I've been all over the tree tonight. But I want to just let you know it's, it's time. We've come to the kingdom. We've come to the kingdom. That's as far as I'm going to go with Esther because she went. The king heard her petition. And she got her people freed. But turn with me to Isaiah 58. I want to read something here. This is so beautiful. It's on the screen. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Watch this now. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? See, it's not a fast of pushing away your food. It's it's saying, I'm going to share with what I have with the hungry. And to provide the poor wanderer with a shelter. And when you see the naked to clothe him. And not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help. And he will say, here am I. And if you do away with the yoke of oppression and you don't oppress people with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, 
then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord quickened this scripture to me because this is not normal fasting. This is not pushing back my plate. This is saying, I'm going to have my food, but somebody else is going to have some food too. I'm going to have some clothes. Some of you folks need to go clean out your closets and go find somebody that needs some nice clothes. I know you think I'm preaching a social gospel tonight. But here's what I want to tell you. If you will do that kind of stuff and if you'll quit pointing your finger and say, wow, they're oppressed, they're depressed, they're oppressed, they're possessed, and you'll quit being malicious with your talk. If you'll just hush saying bad stuff, if you'll just fast your mouth and quit talking down about everything that's not you, he said, I'll step up for you. If you'll just start lifting people with your mouth, lifting people, get away from that malicious talk. Am I preaching to somebody right now? Get away from that talk. Get away from all of that. It's amazing. It's really amazing because we that have so much, so many times, put people down so quickly that don't have what we have. And Isaiah said, if you'll fast and give some food away and some clothes away, and if you'll start talking nice to people, he said, I'll let a light come on in your world. It'll be like a noonday sun. Because we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. When I saw the impact of our church on Sunday, when I saw people walking into our church by the droves, I thought of the great judgment of God, the great white throne judgment that will come one day. And I want everybody that passes through this church, I want everybody that passes through to have a chance meet Jesus right and fair and square someday that's what it's all about so it's up to me to deal with the problem I can't shirk my duty because the problem will not go away and in order to meet the challenge I have to do some serious fasting and prayer I've got to do that in the name of the Lord Would you stand? You're wonderful people, and I promise you Sunday I'm going to preach a whole lot better. I just wanted to talk tonight, and it just got away from me a little bit a few times. I love this church. It's high time that we understand our capabilities and what God's blessed us with. It's high time that we understand that we are not here for our leisure and convenience. We're here because of opportunities. We're here because God wants us to make a difference. 
and all you, all you care group leaders, I pray that the spirit of humility and the spirit of love will just absolutely bathe your home when you bring these people in your home and that judgment will not be cast down but mercy will be raised up and that grace will be in your home because there's a lot of hurting people that needs us to fast and give some things to them that they need in their life and I'm the representation of Jesus Christ in my world and I must be accountable Everybody say, we've come come to the kingdom kingdom for such such a time time as this. this. Not a social gospel, but a gospel of people that just need Jesus. Bow your head, Father, I love you. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.